Hopefully by now, we've all come to terms with the fact that Yahusha's words came true. Every stone of the temple in Jerusalem was literally thrown down. Nothing remains, not even its foundation. There is no standing wall to bury our noses in and pray to. You know that large 36-acre plot of land everyone calls the Temple Mount? It goes by another name, Fort Antonia. It was developed much later than Solomon's Temple and christened after Herod's friend, Mark Antony. The temple, which stood upon Mount Zion, not the Temple Mount, mind you, was completely destroyed in 70 AD. The Roman propagandist Josephus thoroughly detailed this historical fact. I assure you, the Romans did not completely destroy Fort Antonia. They would have had good reason to leave it standing, don't you think? Those few people who have been honest enough with themselves to conclude the Temple Mount is not the historical location of Solomon's Temple rarely dig deeper into the greater implications at play. In fact, I have yet to see anyone go there. Perhaps it is because scholars know something about how the world really works and who is running it, if you get my drift. Perhaps they have said enough without saying too much. Everybody needs a job and nobody wants to murder their families and then commit suicide if you once again get my drift. For the record, I have never been suicidal and I love my family. The very next question I needed to confront, having concluded that the Temple Mount is in actuality a Roman fort, was when the switch happened in history. Though it is demonstrably possible to rewrite history within one single generation, and indeed it has happened, those who witnessed the location of the temple residing inside the ancient city of David for two-thirds of the first century would doubtfully be convinced of the Fort Antonia deception, even if Josephus had been a part in it. Regardless, the swap likely happened very early on in our history. I wanted to know who had a hand in it, why, and when. Naturally, I turned to the Wikipedia for answers and wasn't let down. As you will probably suspect, Wiki kept to the official narrative, which is to say, you are expected to drink the Kool-Aid. Temple Mount this, Temple Mount that. From day one, Fort Antonia was always the Temple Mount and not the other way around. In an article titled Mount Zion, Wiki admits that Zion was the Jebusite city known as the city of David, but also claims that Zion moved locations. The Wiki writes, once the first temple was erected at the top of the Eastern Hill, the name Mount Zion migrated there too. Wait, what? Oh, sigh. I don't need to poke holes in the official narrative. The Wikipedia will do it for me. The first notable mile marker arrives in 135, when the openly homosexual emperor Hadrian erected a temple dedicated to Jupiter upon the Temple Mount. Just so there's no confusion here, Jupiter's temple was built upon Fort Antonia, not Zion. As Josephus has already demonstrated, there was no other foundation for a temple to be laid. Only Fort Antonia remained. Capiche? In other news, the Bar Kokhba revolt was already underway. The wiki informs me that the Jerusalem church as a Jewish sect was henceforth cut off from history. I find that interesting. This is undoubtedly a reference to the Nazarim. Unlike the Christians of Antioch, the Jerusalem church was at complete odds against pharisaical Judaism and Rome. Intel doesn't like that. Perhaps, 
We shall visit Kokhba's rebellion at another time to see what was really going on, because the Jerusalem church re-emerged afterwards with Greek names. I then thought it might be a good idea to learn more about the temple which Hadrian built. Hadrian's temple featured a six-sided hexagonal building. I want you to remember that. He also built a statue of himself mounted upon a horse. Take a mental note of the horse. We actually have a very good idea of what his hexagonal shaped temple looked like because in Baalbek, Syria, Hadrian constructed a kissing cousin. A duplicate six-sided hexagonal building still survives. Be sure to jot that down in your memory as well. We are furthermore told that Hadrian enlarged the temple mount. This is also worth remembering. If cognitive dissonance is already attempting to hold your brain hostage, then just know I do not negotiate with terrorists. As policy, Hadrian did not enlarge the temple foundation which Josephus has already stated was completely destroyed. Another fact I learned is that Hadrian neurotically went around finding every Christian and Jewish holy site he could, so as to build a pagan temple upon it. Jerome of Stridon died in Bethlehem around 420. In a letter to some guy named Paulinus, the theologian insisted that Hadrian had marked all the Christian holy sites with idols. Plant a red flag on that one. If the true temple had been on Mount Zion and not for Antonia, then you will likely tell me that Hadrian built his temple dedicated to Jupiter upon Mount Zion, but you are wrong. Hadrian built his temple on Fort Antonia, precisely where the Dome of the Rock sits today. I hope you brought a lot of red flags because you're going to need them. Though it is somewhat possible that the true location of Solomon and Herod's temple were already being scrubbed in the collective consciousness and Hadrian was trying to convince everyone to look no further than Fort Antonia, I do not believe the swap happened quite yet. We should make another note of the fact that only 65 years have passed since the temple's destruction. Therefore, some who were still living would have seen it with their own eyes. And anyways, there's a second century Roman historian I ran across. His name is Tacitus. Listen to how he describes the location of Yahuwah's house. The temple resembled a citadel and had its own walls which were more laboriously constructed than the others. Even the colonnades with which it was surrounded formed an admirable outwork. It contained an inexhaustible spring. There were subterranean excavations in the hill and tanks and cisterns for holding rainwater. The founders of the state had foreseen that frequent wars would result from the singularity of its customs and so had made every provision against the most protracted siege. The History of Tacitus did you catch that? The temples of Solomon and Herod contained an inexhaustible natural water source. He's referring to the Gihon Spring. I've personally explored Hezekiah's tunnel. Fresh running water still exists. The only natural spring anywhere within the radius of Jerusalem can be found alongside the Kidron Valley, below the city of David. The Temple Mount has no natural spring. Sure, it is perhaps true that the Romans built an aqueduct from Bethlehem, which was intended only for other Romans, and Fort Antonia had man-made cisterns, but that is not what Tacitus is here describing. This tells us that 2nd century Roman historians, as well as Jews, still knew where the temple once stood, and Hadrian is not building upon it. The second notable mile marker can be found some two centuries later, 
Here we must pause, because I have already forgotten to mention that the Bar Kokhba revolt concluded in 136 with all of the Yehudim being expelled from the land. This is about when the disappearing trick transpired, and it happened with Constantine. See, Emperor Constantine was a master wizard. Much of history as we know it is a result of his sleight of hand. Consider the following. Scripture repeatedly informs us that Yahusha was crucified upon a tree, and yet Constantine institutionalized the cross of Tammuz as something to be revered. Tammuz was the sun god in the Babylonian mysteries and father of Nimrod. More importantly, Constantine switched Sabbath from the seventh day of the week to the first so that, once again, the sun god might be worshipped. You know, Apollo, Sol Invictus. Here's another fun fact. At the Council of Nicaea in 325, Constantine made the pagan trinity a foundational doctrine. His uncanny ability to wow the masses with something so simple as a coin pulled from the ear can be gleaned from the coin itself. Constantine printed Mithras on one side with Christian imagery on the other. For verification purposes, I was able to see one such coin in person while living with my family near Oxford. The Roman emperor isn't simply screwing with your head. He's telling you exactly how the trick is performed. His own priest simply disrobed her one garment and slipped on another. Constantine was being all things to all people. We are told that Helena, Constantine's mother, converted to Christianity only after his own vision of the cross at the Battle of the Milvian Bridge in 312. He appointed her as Augusta Imperiatix in 325, same year as Nicaea. This gave Helena unlimited access to the imperial treasury. Helena immediately undertook a trip to Palestine with the mission of discovering holy sites and then planting a big fat X upon them. It is strange indeed that Helena became an ambassador for the Christian religion, modeling its visual decor on par with her son's convictions, when in fact Constantine was a Mithraist until his dying day, hence the coin. His own propagandists once more inform us that he properly converted to Christianity on his deathbed. Right. His conversion, by the way, was the sort of baptismal rites which we might find in the mystery religions. Go figure. If you're paying attention, it means that the coin itself is a trick, and the one side which is being shown to us is the illusion. So let's see what Constantine and Helena are up to in Palestine, because 325 is perhaps the year when Constantine performed his greatest wizardry. Eusebius, who served as both the emperor and Helena's propagandist, records that Constantine completely dismantled the temple to Jupiter, which Emperor Hadrian had built upon the Temple Mount only two centuries earlier. We shall return to that thought in a moment, because Constantine is also said to have destroyed a second temple built by Hadrian. Opinions differ on whether or not it was a temple devoted to Venus or Jupiter, but that is a side squabble. However, the three crosses which Helena discovered there are important. This much is recounted by Ambrose, the Archbishop of Milan, who said Helena tested the three crosses on a dying woman. The first two did not heal her, the third did. Remember that Constantine had already performed the swap from a tree to Tammuz, so one should easily begin to see the sleight of hand being performed. The Babylonian mystery religions survive. One spirit is being traded in for another. The emperor and his mother, and also Ambrose, 
wants you to believe the openly homosexual Emperor Hadrian was obstinately building temples devoted to pagan gods over sacred holy sites, when in fact it was they who were flipping the coin. It was they who were building upon sites devoted to gods of the mystery religion and calling them Christian. Hadrian had a temple built to Venus in Bethlehem and Helena transformed it into the Church of the Nativity. How very clever of her. Hadrian furnished his temple in Jerusalem with Tammuz crosses and Helena decided it would make for the perfect church of the Holy Sepulchre. Eusebius insists that Constantine dismantled both of Hadrian's temples in Jerusalem. The emperor even went so far as to dig up the holy ground where the Holy Sepulchre now resides to a considerable depth and the soil which had been polluted by the foul impurities of demon worship transported to a far distant place. We are then told that the Temple Mount, or rather Fort Antonia, lay in ruins for some 350 years. Pay attention, don't blink, has the disappearing trick already been performed on the stage? You will tell me that Julian the Apostate wanted to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount in 362, some 35 years after Constantine's Holy Land pilgrimage. Julian makes no mention of the Temple Mount in his proclamation to rebuild the temple. Well, technically, no such proclamation survives. There is, however, an existing fragment from a letter dictated to a pagan priest, which reads, I myself intended to restore it, the Jerusalem Temple, in honor of the God whose name has been associated with it. Before we forget, Eusebius has already placed the Gihon Spring as the location of the temple. Then again, so has Constantine and Helena's propagandist Eusebius. The historian writes, There is an inexhaustible reservoir of water, as would be expected from an abundant spring gushing up naturally from within, there being moreover wonderful and indescribable cisterns underground of five furlongs, according to their showing, all around the foundation of the temple, and countless pipes from them, so that the streams on every side met together. And all these have been fasted with lead at the bottom of the side walls, and over these has been spread a great quantity of plaster, all having been carefully wrought. We have now seen two Roman historians who place the foundation of the historical temple above natural springs of water. Nobody here is fingering for Antonia. Not yet, anyhow. And anyways, as you have already likely suspected, Julian's decision to rebuild the temple did not go as some had hoped. Gregory of Nazianzus and Ephraim of Syria both reported that the Jews set about to work preparing the foundation, but were stopped short of terrifying balls of flame which kept bursting forth from the ground. Gregory described a furious blast of wind and a flame that issued forth from the sacred place. Ephraim likewise noted that there were winds, earthquakes, and lightning, and something about a fire bursting forth. While the official narrative would have us leaving the report entirely up to suspicion, here is what I want you to pull away from this. Around 400 AD, some three or four decades later, Jerome wrote that the statue of Hadrian mounted upon his horse was still standing over the Holy of Holies. We should probably pause for a moment and consider the horse. The year is 400 and it still stands upon Fort Antonia. This tells us firstly that the Jews were not digging on the Temple Mount, or else the equestrian statue would have been removed, especially if it were positioned as an antichrist idol over the Holy of Holies. Secondly, we are told that Constantine destroyed Hadrian's Jupiter Temple, and yet everyone is leaving behind the stupid horse, despite the fact that it's positioned over the reported Holy of Holies. 
Which brings up the next point. With Jerome, Constantine's propaganda has finally fermented. The notion that Hadrian was placing idols over sacred sites has been successfully packaged and sold. Despite three centuries, nobody has thought to remove the pig-sacrificing emperor from the Holy of Holies until Jerome thinks to bring it up. It is at this mile marker in history that the horse and its rider disappear. Soon thereafter, Mohammed arrives, riding a horse. Mohammed, of course, was an agent of Rome, and Augustine was a spook, but that's a story for another time. The Dome of the Rock was said to be built between 685 and 691, and here's where the story of Fort Antonia gets especially odd. We are dealing with the Dome of the Threshing Floor. Wait, scratch that. The Dome of the Rock and official history. Nothing else has ever been built like it architecturally in all the Islamic world. We should probably stop and consider why. Contrarily, there is an almost exact replica of the hexagonal drum built in Baalbek, Lebanon. Wait a second. Didn't Hadrian build an identical temple to Jupiter in Baalbek, Lebanon? Indeed, he did. If you spotted Baal in the title, then you've read correctly. Not only are the two churches identical, but Dome of the Rock builders are said to have swapped the copper roof of Baalbek's dome for the Jerusalem dome. How convenient. Ask yourself, why would Muslims build an exact replica of the Baal temple, which Constantine had torn down? There is not one reasonable explanation that I have ever found. Perhaps Constantine never tore it down to begin with, and the Muslims merely had it refitted. Is it really that implausible of an explanation? It certainly wouldn't be the last time. The Templars arrived and then gave it the name Temple of the Domini. From that moment on, as official history records, there was absolutely no question about it. The Templars had fortified themselves directly over the Holy of Holies, but that's only because the Templars dealt in double meanings. The far likelier scenario is that the dome was built by Hadrian. Wherever you go in Israel, they tell you to look below your feet. Yahusha was born precisely where the statue of Venus stood, they tell you. Yahusha was crucified exactly where that other statue of Venus stood, they say. Meanwhile, the city of David has a lookout tower which appears to be placed on the very ground where the temple actually stood. Make a note of that. They tell you to stand there over natural cisterns of water, aka the Gihon Spring, and look out across the Milo towards Fort Antonia, where the statue of Jupiter once stood, and imagine Solomon's temple in all her glory. It's a brilliant sleight of hand, and the very nature of deception. They roll the truth right out in plain sight, and then convince you that the complete opposite is true. You stand upon the seashore and stare upon a flat horizon, something they even call sea level, and tell you it's globular. Ridiculous. Despite your own observations, they will have you not only believing the opposite is true, you will mock anyone who dares to disagree with the lie. In 1910, Aerial photography will show that the city of David was farmland. Dirt. That tells you everything you need to know right there. Blood was spilled over the Temple Mount. That's because Baal needs a sacrifice. And yet, the city of David remained a field of dirt. Believe me, they know. The Muslims know. The Templars know. The Freemasons know. The Jesuits know. The Zionists know. The archaeologists know. Even the Temple Institute knows. They all know. They can pick up scripture and read the evidence for themselves. 
But cognitive concurrence is not the world we live in. Herod dressed spooks up as common Hebrews and sent them into the street. Today, the country of Israel and the Palestinian Authority does the same. There's no shalom in the Middle East for one simple reason. They don't want it to be so. Everything's a show. The world is a theater. And if you've been paying attention, the Temple Mount is center stage.